Did you ever want something so bad that it consumed your thoughts day and night? It lingered in the corners of your mind, driving you forward with an insatiable hunger. The desire for it was like a fire burning within you, refusing to be extinguished. And the thing that you desired was a good thing. Perhaps a meaningful friendship, a, a spouse, a better marriage, respect, a job, maybe a better paying job, a reliable vehicle, a nice home, relief from a stressful situation, a child. Desiring something good is not a problem unless it becomes covetousness. Because Colossians 3.6 tells us that covetousness is idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry. Now, how can wanting something be idolatrous? Well, I have a definition of idolatry that I use to try to explain that. It's Idolatry is desiring something so much you are willing to rebel against God to get it. Desiring something so much you're willing to rebel against God to get it. Even a desire for something good can lead to rebellion against God. And let's look at Genesis 16 this morning in a, a message I've entitled, When Desire for Good Things Leads to Sin. Genesis chapter 16, let's look at verses 1 through 3. There we see that coveting is sin and leads to sinful actions. It says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. Now, the situation with Sarai is that God has promised a child to Abram, yet Sarah remains childless. And in verse 2, we see that she accurately but impatiently blames the Lord. She says, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. But there's a promise, right? So the Lord has prevented her, but... He's also promised that she's going to have a child. But it seems rather impossible for her. And it's not happening quick enough. Have any of you ever wanted something and it didn't happen quick enough for your liking? I have. Many times. Probably almost yearly, I think. 
But Sarai becomes impatient with the Lord's promise here, and so she plans according to the world's culture. She sets off a plan of surrogacy through polygamy. Surrogacy through polygamy. Now, this was perfectly acceptable according to the world's standards, but not according to God's plan for marriage. So that's Sarai. And then she goes to Abram and she presents this plan. And we're, set, we're told there that Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Now, we don't know exactly what th- went through Abram's mind, but he may be thinking, hey, look at this young woman, Hagar. And the wife says, it's okay. So why not? I mean, remember, this is before the law was given. It was accepted by the culture, but not according to God's design of one man and one woman for one lifetime becoming one flesh. And if you remember from a few weeks back, Nathan uh, was speaking here, Nathan Forbes, and he described the difference between description and prescription. In other words, description, the Bible describes what was going on in the culture. That doesn't mean that it prescribes what is going on. So polygamy is what's going on in the culture, but it is not a prescription that God has given. And I would say to you this morning, just because the culture says some practices are okay, that doesn't mean they are righteous practices in God's eyes. Just because your wife says something is okay doesn't mean that it's okay in God's sight. Just because you think something is okay doesn't mean that it is. God is the standard for righteousness, and he determines what is righteous and what is not. Because he is holy. He is without sin. What else should be a clue for us that this plan is going to go badly? When we hear the phrase, Abram listened to the voice of Sarai, that that may have fired off something in your mind that took you all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, when they fell into sin, the Lord rebuked Adam for listening to, to the voice of his wife. So we have a foreshadowing that this plan is not going to go well. But let me pause for just a moment so that uh, you are clear in understanding what I am saying and what I am not saying. Okay? I am not saying that you should never get counsel from your wife about life decisions. Okay? That would be a foolish thing. You need to get counsel from your wife about life decisions. I think that's a wise thing. And I'm also not saying that a woman can't make good decisions. They can. In fact, sometimes they make better decisions than we do, men. Hear hear it again. There we go. But what I am saying is that when your wife hatches a plan to do something sinful, you need to listen to God's voice 
not hers. Right? If your wife comes up with a plan to have a child and it involves polygamy, no. Right? Don't listen. God's voice trumps all other voices. So, are we clear on that? Right? Okay. You want some more language from the fall? Notice that just like Eve saw the fruit and then took it and gave it to her husband, Sarai here, we are told, took Hagar and gave her to Abram as a wife. Given the biblical pattern of the fall, when we read see and take, what should we expect next? Calamity, right? Disaster. And that's the way things work. Satan makes it so. He maximizes the appeal and he minimizes the penalty. When we make sinful plans, you can be sure that they will not turn out the way you expected. Let's keep reading. Look at verses 4 through 6. And Abram went in to Hagar, and she conceived. And when Hagar saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress Sarai. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, And she fled from her. Disaster. Sin never affects just you. Sin destroys. That's what it does. Sarai's plan does not go as she hoped. Sin begins to snowball. Disaster. Hagar... No doubt feeling superior because of her fruitfulness looks with contempt on Sarai. This particular sinful attitude is not good for her. One commentator said this, the verb translated looked with contempt is critical to this account. It is the same verb used in the first recording of the promises to Abram in Genesis 12.3. Him who dishonors you... I will curse. So Hagar is despising or dishonoring Abram through his wife Sarai. And that puts her in a bad place. It's just all going badly. Sarai blames Abram. Sarai shows her own feelings of superiority when she asks the Lord to judge between her and Abram. And then when given the opportunity by Abram, she deals harshly with Hagar, who flees her presence. Don't miss what is going on here. Moses is writing this after the Israelites have been delivered from Pharaoh in Egypt where they were oppressed. 
As he recalls this event in Abram and Sarai's life, Moses portrays Abram and Sarai like Pharaoh and the Egyptians who oppressed Israel. But you may be thinking to yourselves, well, pastor, just prior to this account, Abram showed great faith in the Lord and, and righteousness was put to his account. Indeed, Abram was saved by faith, not works. Nowhere are we told that Abram earned righteousness before the Lord. He was a sinner saved by God's grace through faith in God's promises. Saved by faith, not by works. Paul will quote that in the New Testament. Not by Abram's own righteousness, but righteous given to him by his faith in God's promises through Abram's current marriage to eventually bring about Jesus Christ, the one who would be a blessing to all the nations, who would bring salvation to all the nations through his death, burial, and resurrection. And I urge you this morning, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're not going to get to heaven by your good works. You need to repent of your sin and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Make Him the King of your life and follow Him with your life. And then you'll be given his righteousness for your faith. It's a great exchange. But I want you to understand here, Abram was a believer. Just because a person becomes a Christian doesn't mean they aren't sinners anymore. Oh, how I wish the struggle with sin were over. But it won't be until that day when I'm glorified, when I'm dead, and my body is taken to be with the Lord. Resurrection, new body, new life for eternity. An old bluegrass song says this to the Christian, the devil wears a hypocrite's shoe, and if you don't watch, he'll slip it on you. We are susceptible as Christians to acting just like we did before we were saved. Abram and Sarai try to do God's work for him, and they make a mess. When we take matters into our own hands, instead of waiting on God, we become like the world. We use and afflict people to get what we want. Abram and Sarai used Hagar. Instead of displaying God's good rule to Hagar, they act like Pharaoh using her and dealing harshly with her. And she flees. But it turns out that the Lord sees and hears those who are afflicted, even when they're not children of the promise. Look at verses 7 through 14. It's at this point we meet a new character in the book of Genesis, the angel of the Lord. Now there are questions. Who is the angel of the Lord? Is it a Christophany? In, in other words, is it a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ? It's possible. He's a messenger of the Lord. An angel is a messenger. Sometimes the angel of the Lord appears just as a messenger only. 
Here, it sure seems like it's the Lord, but we have to remember that a messenger of the Lord carries the same authority as the one he is bringing the message from, right? When an ambassador speaks in a foreign country for the president, he has the authority of the president. And so, you ask me, I'm not sure. In this passage, though, it sure seems to be that Yahweh is making an appearance. Look at verse 7. That's where our angel of the Lord comes in. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai. Now, notice that the Lord addresses Hagar as a servant, not a wife. Sarai gave her to Abram as a wife, but... That's the world's way. The Lord recognizes her as a servant. Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, now here we have poetry, prophecy as a poetry. Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael. Now the name Ishmael means God hears. Okay, that's what it means. Ishmael. God hears. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Beer Lahai Roy, the well of the living one who sees. Okay, that's rough translation. The well of the living one who sees. It lies between Kadesh and Barad. Here the Lord promises Hagar innumerable Offspring. Does that sound familiar, right? This word, these words sound like the blessing that God gave to Adam and Eve and also to Abram. Hagar is going to have innumerable offspring. But we have to be clear, these children are not children of the covenant promises. It is only through Isaac that the Messiah will come. In fact, Ishmael and his offspring will be a fighting clan of people who will oppose Israel. And it remains the case to this very day. But there are two major items that we must take note of in this passage where the Lord speaks. Hagar names the Lord and the well based on the fact that the Lord sees all. He sees 
her in her affliction. And then the Lord names Ishmael, God hears, based on the fact that he listened to her affliction. And the Lord listens to you in your affliction. You see, the Lord sees and hears all. He's not unaware of your circumstances or your needs. He's listening. But unfortunately, sin has consequences. Look at verses 15 and 16. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Ishmael and his children are going to oppose the Israelites. But don't lose fact, or don't lose sight of the fact that Ishmael's name means God hears. For the next 13 years, Sarai, every time someone uses Ishmael's name in her presence, She's going to hear, God hears. God hears. You see, God knew Sarai was barren. God saw her plight too. God heard her prayers. It just wasn't time for her to have a child yet. In fact... It's going to be, let's see, Abram is 86. It's going to be another 14 years before Sarah has Isaac. It's not time. Can a woman have a child? She's about 10 years younger than Abram. So she's about 76 years old when this happens. Is it possible for a 76-year-old woman to have a kid? Unlikely, but maybe possible. But God's going to give it a little more time. She's going to be 90. And he's going to introduce himself as El Shaddai, God Almighty. The one who brings life from dead things, like dead wombs, like Jesus from the grave. You serve a God who raises the dead. But we're getting into the next sermon. Here, we must see and know that God sees and knows our needs. And He cares. Sarah needed to wait patiently for the Lord to act, but she didn't. She took things into her own hands. And it went badly. A desire for good things can lead to sin. Sarah wanted a child. Sarah was promised a child. But she just couldn't wait. And beloved, the Lord knows your needs. He sees your situation. He hears your prayers. So wait 
patiently on him. Proverbs 14.12 says, There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. And Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Sarai desired a child so badly she hatched a plan that was okay by the world's standards but sinful according to God's standards. Remember, the thing that you desire might not even be a sinful thing. A meaningful friendship must not lead you to divide someone else's friendship or to gossip about someone else in order to gain someone's allegiance. A desire for a spouse must not lead you to compromise God's command to marry another Christian. It must not lead you to marry someone of the same sex according to the customs of the world. Or to give in to sexual temptation in order to keep a boyfriend in hopes of marriage. Or, or in order to keep a girlfriend in hopes of marriage. Desire for a spouse is a good thing, but it must never lead you to compromise. A better marriage is a good thing, but not if you divorce your current spouse to get it. Respect may be desirable, but to gain it by sinful worldly actions in order to impress someone in power or someone important is not the way to go. Serve God above all. Listen to His voice. A job is a good thing, but not if it leads you to compromise your commitment to the Lord and to gathering with this church. A better paying job is not a wrong thing, but if you resort to lying and deception to get it, then it is. A reliable vehicle or a nice house are not bad things, but they are if you get so bound up in debt that you cannot be generous to others. And to support the Lord's work, we must prioritize God and people. Relief from a stressful situation is certainly desirable, but not if you have to compromise your morals in order to do so. You see, desiring something good is not a problem unless it leads to sin. The Lord knows your needs. He sees your situation. He hears your prayers. So wait patiently on him. Now, Abram went along with Sarah's ill-conceived plan instead of putting a stop to it. It may be that you have a Christian friend who's about to get ahead of the Lord and enact a sinful plan to get what they want. It's your responsibility as a member of Faith Baptist Church to intervene and lovingly try to stop them. Our commitment is to one another. We're to follow Jesus together. You may be, you may be conceiving a plan like Sarai. 
and you're going to go to other people to get advice. But you know what I find with people is it tends to be, if, if we're looking for advice on what we should do, we tend to look for people we think will agree with us. Reach out to someone who's willing to say, no, that's stupid. And then listen. Hagar, in our story, she had what Sarah wanted. And she thought she was better than Sarai. Some of us Christians are blessed with those things that others desire. But we must not ever think that we're better than them because of it. Or that somehow we deserve God's blessing for having it. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Be grateful to the Lord for what you have. Be compassionate, gracious, and generous to those who are without. Do not despise them. Christ will one day rule the world in the new creation. That is God's plan. And when Jesus was here on earth, Satan offered Jesus a shortcut to ruling the world that would allow him to skip the cross. In Matthew 4, verses 8 through 10, it says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Praise the Lord that Jesus did not take this shortcut because he would have left us out of his kingdom. But he knew that in this world there would be suffering and trials and eventually death. Humility before exaltation. And he trusted the Lord. He knew the Lord heard him. And we read in Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, and we're jumping in. Hebrews 11 is a, a list of people who had great faith in the Lord. That's what the therefore is therefore in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, those who had great faith before us, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. What are we to look to him for? Well, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy that was set before him are his chosen people, those who repent of their sin and trust Jesus Christ as their Savior, follow him as king. That's the joy. In the new creation, his new people living with him in his presence. But to get to that, 
he endured shame and suffering. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, count the cost. Because if you follow Christ, people will mock you like they mocked Christ. They will bring shame on your name because of your association with Jesus Christ. Count the cost. Because it's costly. But it's worth it. It's worth it. Repent of your sin and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Follow Him with your life. You may endure suffering and shame down here, but God hears your prayers. He sees your plight. And one day He will resurrect your dead body to be reunited with your soul in the new creation to live eternally in His presence on a new earth and a new creation where God will be known and worshipped by all. Count the cost and make the decision. Christians here today, I emphasize to you that the Lord knows your needs. He sees your situation. And He hears your prayers. Don't get ahead of Him. Wait patiently on Him. Trust Him. His plans are always for the best. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Jesus Christ, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, is now resurrected to sit at Your right hand, And Father, there are many needs here this morning. Folks who are in different, difficult situations and they know your promise to care for their needs. And, but it seems that you don't hear. And it seems that you don't see. I pray that this message this morning has helped them to realize that you do see. And you do hear. And you will work. But only in your time, as you work out your plan, to bring about what is best and what is good. And so I pray that you'll strengthen their faith this morning. Pour out your abundant grace upon them. Strengthen them for the road ahead. And as our brothers and sisters, I pray, help us to encourage one another. In these times, in this, in this world that seems to offer so much, but ultimately disappoints. Father, help us to remember that we live for eternal things. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.